Good morning, everyone. It's September 14th, 2020, about 8.30 a.m., and so delighted to have a wonderful friend, colleague, physician, leader here with us, Dr. Nasreen Ibrahim, who is the Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, heart failure and transplant cardiologist at Mass General Hospital in her fourth year of being and attending. It's been so wonderful to get to know you over the last year, Nasreen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you this morning and also just share my journey with you and how I've grown since we've been working together. It's been an awesome journey and I can't wait to share it with the world. Well, it's our wonderful opportunity to listen to some of your wisdom, insights, learnings. Our topic today is leading with grace and authenticity. But before we go there, a few pieces of information about Nasreen, who is a, a blogger. You'll often see her tweets on Twitter. She's a huge LeBron James fan, a proponent of physician wellness, resilience, and is currently celebrating the end of summer. Summer is my favorite season. I'm a summer baby. I was born in July. Um, it's my favorite season. This has been an unusual summer, but I've made the most of it. I like the long days, the sun, the beach. So it's really a sad, sad ending to the summer, but I'm really um, looking forward to um, the fall and winter and what else I can do career-wise in the next few months. So why don't we take a moment now and shift a little bit more into our topic about leading with grace and authenticity. So I wanted to share with the world really how helpful it has been to have a coach. Um, it was something that my research mentor, Jim Januzzi, had suggested, and I wasn't sure what this was going to be like. And so when I started, I was hesitant. I didn't know. I was like, I read so many leadership books. I didn't know that I needed a coach, but it really has been one of the most incredible parts of my journey um, in academic cardiology and really a huge part of my growth. And I would say, I think it worked because like any relationship, whether it's between a patient and a physician or a mentor and a mentee, you really have to get along with your coach. I think you have to have some um, similarity in personality and really just vibe is the best way to put it. So it really worked for me in terms of my growth and having somebody like you who's able to tell me about myself because not everybody is able to tell me what I'm doing wrong and what I can do better. And so having that from an objective person has been tremendous in my growth. As we've discussed, part of your success has obviously been just your own candor and willingness to go through this process. Grateful to you. Tell us a little bit more. Part of that path was doing a self-assessment, taking a, a look at yourself, your own strengths and opportunities, your leadership and communications preferences. What comments might you have there and or what are your life lessons that you've noticed in the last year? I would say the theme or the summary, if I would summarize it in a hashtag, which we've talked about before, is uncomfortable growth. Because the process was challenging at times. I know there's been tears when we sat down at different points, but the first thing that you did was we did um, that personality test, the DISC, and I found out I was somewhere in between dominance and influence. So that was my first objective way of looking at myself from the outside and how others view me. And so the dominance and influence and how those personality traits are, I think, helpful and are good in a great leader, but there's also other things that I was 
was missing and I needed to work on and also understanding other people's personality types and leadership styles. Um, I would say the thing that helped me the most when we met, other than doing the personality tests and kind of getting that, oh, okay, this is how I do things and this is very different than how others do things, that was very eye-opening. But also for me, what worked was every time I sat down with you, I gave you a real-life example of a situation that I thought I could do better. Um, sometimes they had been fresh and new examples, and other times it was old stories of things that I had done or maybe gotten written up for that I really wanted to delve into and understand how I could have done things better. And I remember some days I would start and say, okay, you're going to be mad, but I want to tell you about this certain situation where this is how I handled it and this is how I could have done better. So it was a very raw conversations, learning about myself. And it was you coaching me into how I could have done it better. And a lot of times I felt uncomfortable and, and it was good. It was good to feel uncomfortable because I needed somebody to, like I said earlier, tell me about myself because I want to be a leader that people look up to. I want to be a leader that makes everybody else around me better. Just remember that it's a continuous growing process. It's not just, oh, I, I did, you know, one year of coaching and now an amazing leader. I think there's opportunity to keep getting better as I continue to grow in my career. Yes, and you were definitely committed to the process. And as you said, vulnerable. You brought real life examples and not just, I did a great job on our goal number one last week. Honest, you have a lot of self-awareness and we're willing to go there. So I think for all those reasons, as you know, the introspection and carving out the time for yourself. I think you've shared that that has helped you in that uncomfortable growth. How do you sustain that and or any advice for, for others who might find getting there a bit tough? I would say you have to be ready to go through the process. You have to be ready to be completely uncomfortable. Nobody grows by just doing the same things that they've been doing. When we used to sit down um, and talk, I made sure to take notes every time we sat down and then, you know, use the tools that you taught me in the subsequent meetings or the subsequent opportunities that I had to lead. And then I also used to take my phone out and put down notes on a situation that I think I could have handled better so I can remember it so that we can talk about it the next time we met. But I would say use your tools, the tools that you taught me, every opportunity I had, anywhere from speaking up at meetings, you know, sitting in a meeting with a room full of completely different personalities and being aware of how I come off, also aware of the other personalities in the room and how they might not be comfortable with how I'm handling things or how I'm making comments or asking questions. So really just the self-awareness and making sure to use the tools every opportunity I could and taking notes and writing down the, the situations that I feel like I could have done better. But I would also say throughout the process, I remember telling you, I don't want to lose myself. I don't want to lose my personality. I always want to be me, be my authentic self. And that never changed throughout the process because you were coaching me to be my best self. And I heard this thing about women being overcoached and I was warned a lot. And then I now understand what that means because sometimes in responses that I get in emails, 
emails or in things that people say to me. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like you. I totally can see that you read about this in a book or somebody told you to respond in a certain way. And that's why you're responding in that way. And I never wanted that to be me. So in the whole process, you coached me to being my best self and you continue to coach me to be my best self. So I never wanted to lose who I am at my core throughout this process. I just wanted to make myself a better leader. I mean, so many great points there. A tough thing that, that you've navigated well is how do you draw the line between where is my authentic voice and how do I allow in new information that I can incorporate into my authentic voice and or kind of make it my own? What are your thoughts on that? Take the lessons and really just absorb the things that are in line with my purpose and what I think is important in life and the kind of legacy I want to leave behind and the kind of influence I want um, for the people around me. So you really have to take things and make them your own. And that's true with when I read leadership books and there's, you know, leadership books that have 300 lessons and they say, you know, take the lessons that apply to you because you can't take every lesson and make it um something that you're comfortable with. So for me, it was taking the lessons, making sure they align with my purpose and what I want to leave behind, incorporating that into everything I do. And it's not just leadership in medicine, it's leadership outside of medicine. I would say I'm sort of a leader in my family. And so how I speak to my brothers and my sister and how I speak to my parents, you know, leadership in friendships and planning, I think it, it plays a role in everything that I do in life. And it's made me more comfortable speaking up, more comfortable being myself. And just, and it's, it's crazy because when I look around and I see the bad examples, I'm like, my coach told me not to do this, but okay, this is a lesson for me. Um, to not do it when I quote unquote grow up and become a chief of a section or a director of a department. And so it's, it's just been taking what aligns with my goals and where I want to see myself as a leader. Yeah. And that kind of takes us back a little bit to remember we touched on your North Star. You mentioned it earlier. What kind of leader do I want to be? You talked about helping others, whether we call it a North Star or what is your mission statement for self or how do you ground and or how do you center? You've shared a lot of different words here. Any kind of thoughts? How do you summarize that for self or how do you keep that in mind as you go through your day, make decisions, talk with colleagues, uh, make tough decisions, right? Handling some of your, for example, transplant work, as well as relationships. So I think when we first started, my mission statement was, I wanna be the leader that everyone strives to be, but it's changed as I've grown because now my statement is, I wanna be the leader that makes everybody around me the best version of themselves. So that's how I really look at myself as a leader. I want everybody around me to do, to be the best person that they are, to put out the best work um, that they have, um, to be the happiest they can be in their career or in their relationship or whatever it is that I'm leading them in. That's now how I look at leadership. And I think COVID was a stress test for leaders all over the world and how you handled the really the most difficult time in our careers. And I would still say to me, leadership is making everybody around me the best version of themselves. Yeah, you've spoken about tools. You've spoken about personal examples. A couple of other things come to mind. Wonder if you wanted to comment on any things like the amygdala hijack, the emotional hijack, crucial conversations. You've spoken a little bit about uncomfortable growth. You've spoken about learning from others, continuous learning. Any comments on any of those? Oof, the amygdala hijack, I would say. 
<laughs> so the amygdala hijack is the reason I get in trouble or I was getting in trouble. It's been a really long time since anybody's written me up or I've gotten in trouble for anything. But the amygdala hijack was my best and greatest lesson that you taught me. And I have to remember it all the time. So again, when I get hijacked and I'm emotional and I'm, I really just want to go in on something or someone or somebody said something to trigger me, I just have to remember to take a deep breath in. We talked about just looking at my nails to calm me down and then just, you know, rewording what I was going to say so it doesn't seem, but so that I'm not going in on attack mode. And it's taught me how to respond to things in a much better way, including just sitting on emails and not responding until the next day, until I've slept on it. Uh, when I speak up at meetings after somebody, after I've been hijacked or triggered, again, take a deep breath in, look at my nails, and then respond in a way that it's not attack mode. So the amygdala hijack has been my, the best lesson that I've gotten from my coaching. One of many great lessons with the amygdala hijack. And it's funny because Jim Danuzi and I were talking about it recently. And, you know, we both say amygdala hijack, let's wait to respond. <laughs> yeah, great stuff there. And of course, we have to give that to Dan. Daniel Goleman, his book, uh, Emotional Intelligence. Yeah, but I, again, love the examples that you gave, the tachycardia, the, the complete overwhelm in those moments, and then saying something that one might regret later on, the slowing down. And again, in the practicality of every day, how do you manage that? You're in the, in the thick of it. Critical life and death situations. Add to that the complexity of, the, of COVID, the pandemic. Tensions are high at the moment. You've given some great observations already. A anything else to add at this current moment as we try to navigate the pandemic? Yeah, because you know what I learned, another lesson learned from coaching is that wor my words matter. So my words affect people. My words can really hurt people in the moments that I'm just react without thinking that I'm letting the amygdala hijack take over. So I just have to remember that my words matter and it's easy to just, just a few seconds to take a deep breath in. And I always say, look at my nails because they're usually a bright color, like they're bright pink today. Just take a deep breath in and reword what I'm saying and or watch my tone that I'm saying it in because I know that my words can hurt. And that's where the word grace comes in. I remember one of my sorority sisters says, I know you're a badass and I know that you, you like to just go on attack mode and go in on people. You don't like people to take advantage of you or of others or the situation, but just be graceful. And that's where grace comes in. You can still be tough. You can still have an opinion. You can still lead a room or a department or a division and still have and do it with grace so to me it was a lesson in just and a reminder that words do matter tone matters and this can affect my residents and my trainees and the nurses around me the physicians around me for a long time just do things still do them as badass as I want to but do it with grace yeah, and that's a great way to summarize our topic, leading with grace and authenticity. In kind of wrapping up today, any other thoughts, Nasreen, in terms of what else the pandemic might be teaching us? Any closing thoughts on what, in your opinion, makes an ideal leader? I hope that after the pandemic, we take the lessons that we learned in the pandemic, and that is that human connections are really the most important thing that we have. All the material things, the go restaurants, going out to eat, all of the things that we lost in the grand scheme of things are not important. It's really just 
human connections and I've said it, I've blogged it, they're really the most important thing in life. And I would say the leader that I strive to be and the leader that I look up to is the one who makes everybody around them the best version of themselves. Wonderful. Well, so grateful to you for this time this morning. Thank you so much, Nasreen, and thanks for sharing just your insights, your warmth, your candor, your own vulnerability, and just your life lessons and experience. Thank you so much. Thank you for being an incredible part of my growth. Bye.